So I want to um, invite you to, if you're able, please stand for the reading of the word of our Lord. First Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, Father, we thank you for this time, this time of, of worship, this time of fellowship. Father God, I just pray that, that through the preaching of the word, by application of your spirit, myself as the preacher and those who are listening to me, that through your word we would be brought as, as one church, one, one unified body of people to focus ourselves to you, to you solely, to you alone. Dear God, I pray that, that the Spirit would illuminate the truth of this passage to us, that its meaning would be made known to our minds. I pray that the Spirit would apply its meaning once made known to our hearts. I pray that we would live anew, that we would live fresh in light of the divine truth that we are sitting under tonight. Father God, we thank you for every spiritual blessing which you've bestowed upon us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now the old hymn begins with the lines, I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger, just the traveling through this world of woe, and there's no sin, nor toil, nor danger in that bright land to which I go. Now I believe the writer of that hymn wishes to communicate through song uh, is the reality that the Christian person, the Christian man, the Christian woman, is a person who is living in a world in which they do not belong. They do not fit in. They do not conform to the other people around them. They do not partake in the same things. They do not value the same things. They do not worship the same things. For a Christian person is a person whose life has been changed. God has, by his grace, taken out their heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh. Paul says we are new creations in Christ Jesus. He's been born of God. He is a child of God and has been adopted into his heavenly family. And so the Christian is different. And he or she knows that he is different. And does he despair in his lack of popularity? Is he troubled that his beliefs are mocked, that his morals are all but trampled upon by the culture in which he lives? Not for a moment. Now he looks to his God for strength, his God for guidance. He remembers what God has done for him. He remembers the promises that God has made to him. He, he does not strive for earthly treasures which perish but rather he keeps his gaze set upon the eternal heavenly inheritance which awaits him when his Savior calls him home. There is no sin, no toil, no danger in that bright land to which I go. Now, as we have continued this sermon series through Peter's first epistle, Brother John and I have both been very pleased to encourage theology and doxology. Theology being the study of God and doxology being our praising of God, the God whom we study. And what we point out is and what we experience is that the more deeply we know God, the more deeply we worship him. That the, the further we go in our theology, the further we will go in our doxology. 
In my library, I have a, a book that, that is entitled A Puritan Theology, and the subtitle is Doctrine for Life. And I just, I just love that title, Doctrine for Life. You see, what the Puritans of old understood a, a lot better than we do today is that doctrine, theology, they are practical things. You know, you see, some people, they, they have this idea that, that doctrine, that theology is, is merely an exercise of the mind or of the intellect and that it has no real connection to how we live our everyday lives. Some people think that you know, over here you have deep Bible study and that, that's for the spiritual marines, that's, that's for the super saints. And then over here, way on the other side, you have uh, devotional life application oriented, simple, easy, uh, plain to understand, watered down Bible study. And that, that's for the normal people. But what the Puritans understood so well, what our spiritual forefathers understood, is that before you can apply any passage of Scripture to your life, you must first apply it to your heart. Love thy neighbor as thyself is not a command that can be accomplished if the truth that is behind that command, that empowers that command, has not come into your heart. Well, the only way for truth to come into your heart is that it must first come in through your mind. And so now why do I say these things? Because I believe that this is exactly what Peter is doing in the text which I wish to present to you tonight. You see, in this passage, Peter has, in his letter, already begun the process of moving from doctrine to application. Now, we saw this in verse 13, where the first word is, Therefore... Therefore, because of all of this theology, because of all of this doctrine, all of this information, all of these facts, all of these truths, because of all of this, he says, quote, prepare your minds for action. Because of this truth, do this. Live like this. Once again, our knowledge, our understanding of God, our theology ought to have a direct impact on how we live our lives. And this is firstly accomplished when the truth has been applied to our hearts. And Peter is going to help us to do exactly that in these verses, which I, which I pray that the Holy Spirit would, of course, not only illuminate to you, that you would understand, that you would know the truth, but that you would embrace the truth, that you would set your heart to do the will of our very good and loving God, to whom belongs all glory there ever was. And so you look at verse 17, you read... And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, the first thing I want you to notice there is the essential structure of the verse. It's, it's basically what I would call an if-then construction. If this thing is true, if this condition is met, then this other thing should immediately follow. And in this case, the if is conditional. Verse 17 says, and if you call on him as father. Now, obviously, we know this is referring to God here. The condition is if you call on him as father. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus admonishes Christians to do is to pray to God as our father in heaven. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God the Father has predestined Christians for, quote, adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 says that everyone who believes in the name of Jesus Christ, they are given, quote, the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I don't need to go on uh, providing scriptural proofs for what I'm saying here, but what we are learning is that believers, all believers, are spiritually the children of God. And now this is a wonderful thing. This is a glorious truth. That good and holy God would look upon sinners and so choose to graft us into his family. That is a wonderful thing. There is, there is great encouragement. There is great comfort in that. Now I know a lot of people who come from broken homes or other situations like that. We live in a 
day and age where, at least in our culture, the divorce rates are incredibly high. And so I just, th this needs to be said. I just want to tell everybody, no matter what your f family situation has been, no matter where it is that you come from, come join the family of God. He, he is a good and perfect heavenly father who loves his children with a love so tender and true. And so you may ask, well, what must I do to join? Nothing. For the scripture says those who are children of God are born not of the will of man, but of God. Now, now this is an, an amazing thing. And this is where Peter, in our text, grips our hearts. He is, he is calling in, into focus, calling to the forefront of your mind, the personal, loving relationship that every believer has with God their Father. He says, if you call on Him as Father. Now, to be able to get on your knees and, and look to heaven and pray to Holy God, who has created the heavens and the earth and everything in between, to look to Him and to call Him Father, that is the most lovely thing. And, and so Peter, he, he draws out our hearts saying, well, if you are going to do this, if you are going to call on the Almighty as Father... Well, then this is the attitude. This is the mindset that you need to have. This is the, the, the heart that must flow from that. The end of verse 17 says, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, before we get into the specifics of that, uh, before Peter says we should do this, he tells us a little bit about why we should. He says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. You see, the one to whom we as Christians look to as our Father, whom we depend on for strength, guidance, encouragement, love, He is the same God before whom every man and woman, including you and including the preacher tonight, will stand before one solemn day, and it will be to Him who is holy, 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 we will have to give an account of our deeds. Now, this is not teaching that we are saved by our deeds, by our works, or by the things we do. Peter will explain that elsewhere in his letter. But nevertheless, the Bible teaches that every single person will still appear before the throne of judgment. When, when verse 17 says, according to each one's deeds, this can be understood to mean, essentially, according to one's whole life. I like what, what John Calvin has to say on this verse. He says, what will be regarded, referring to uh, according to each one's deeds, he says, what will be regarded will be the real sincerity of the heart. This place of faith also is included in the work. Now, we recognize that we are not saved by our works, but by our faith. That the only reason when God looks upon your life you will escape his condemnation is if the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to you by means of your faith in him. And if the righteousness of Christ has not been accredited to you, you will not escape God's judgment. Nevertheless, even for those of us who are saved, the scriptures teach that all we do will be tested by fire. And, and there are eternal consequences in relation to that. And so here the text says that God judges impartially. What's that mean? You can understand it to mean his judgment is, is always just. It is always fair. And so what do we do with all this? Well, what Peter says is, if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So if if you are going to enter into a loving relationship with the one who will judge all the earth, then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, we talked about that word exile more in depth in a previous message. I won't go, all, go over all of that again. But essentially what this communicates is the reality that while the Christian... While the, the man or woman who is born again of God, born from above, uh, the reality that while they lead their life here on earth, they are a sojourner, a stranger, an alien, a pilgrim in this life. 
This world is not his home, and, and he is not of this world, for he has been born of God. He doesn't look like everybody else. He doesn't talk like everybody else. He doesn't do what everybody else does. There, there used to be a store here in Vermilion that was called Decidedly Different. And, and I, I just think that, that that's just a wonderful phrase. That's such a perfect way to describe Christians. For God has decided for you to be different. And you continue yourself to strive, to decide, to be different from the world in which you live. Therefore, the Christian does not, in a sense, feel at ease in this world, for they long to be free from the presence of sin and in the presence of their God whom they love. Therefore, every Christian alive today, every one of you, indwelt by the Spirit who has been born again by the grace of our Father, is on a spiritual exile. And so, as people mock you, uh, because you do not participate in, in the same sins or in the same things, as people mock you because you are not focused on the same things, as people mock you because you do not value the same things, as people mock you for your Christian faith, which, according to the world, is, is only a belief held by stupid and ignorant people, as you are slandered by evil people who hate God because of your faith in Jesus Christ, as all of these things happen to you, as they happen to Christians, the Christian who is a pilgrim in this life, the pilgrim must keep his heart set on heaven, must keep his gaze looking to God. And so Peter says that throughout the duration of your exile... We ought to conduct ourselves with fear. Now, fear there should not be understood purely in the common sense of the word, for no Christian need be afraid of, of their heavenly Father who, who loves them uh, eternally, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what the word fear here communicates is, is a holy reverence, in, in awe, a sense of how glorious and how powerful God is and how weak and small we are compared to that. Once again, Peter is going after our hearts here. He, he, he is targeting our emotions. He is targeting our affections. He says, this is the attitude that you ought to have as you live your life. You should be living your life with an ever-present sense of the, the honor of God, the majesty of God, an ever-present understanding of your utter dependency upon Him, an ever-present desire to bring glory to Him, to serve Him, to worship Him, to love Him. But why use the word fear here to communicate that? Well, because were it not for the precious blood of the Lamb which has washed away your sins, we would need to be afraid of God, afraid of his wrath, afraid of his judgment, afraid of his power, afraid of his condemnation. You see, the special, particular, tender glory that every Christian partakes in is the reality that the one we love, the one we serve, the one we worship has the power to smite us, and we would deserve it. I, I would deserve it because we are sinful and he is holy. But you see, the glorious thing is that he won't smite us because God has promised and revealed to us that he is faithful, that he cannot lie, and that he cannot go back on his promises. And he has promised that whoever believes in him has eternal life. Because of the reality of who God is, we who call him Father must conduct ourselves with a holy reverence towards him as we live out our Christian lives, as we are exiles on this earth, pilgrims in a strange land. This is the attitude we ought to have. And look at what Peter connects this to in verse 18. Verse 18 says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You see, the attitude we ought to have towards God should not only be shaped by who he is, but it should be shaped by what he has done for us. Knowing 
that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. We who can rightly call God Father, who have been adopted into his heavenly family, know that we have been ransomed. We've been liberated. We've been redeemed from something. Well, who, who needs to be ransomed? Who needs to be liberated? Slaves do. The word translated here as, as ransom comes from the Greek true, which was often used to refer to the freeing of a captive. And we have been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. Now, understanding this in the first century context as, as the message of the gospel, as the word of the cross is going out to Gentile nations, you see, many of the people who are, are being saved are coming from pagan societies that engage in not only wicked beliefs, but wicked behaviors. These were nations of people that, that generation after generation practiced a way of life that led to eternal damnation, that did not lead to God, that did not lead to, lead to peace with Him. Their ways were futile. They were worthless. They, they, were, they were a waste of time. And the people to whom Peter is writing were once slaves to that system, were once in bondage to their sin, slaves to that way of life. But they have been ransomed from it. A, a price has been paid to redeem them, to bring them out of that life. Now, now just, just for a moment, how many people in our own day look at their lot in life and look at their parents or, or their families and, and see their sins and see the failures of those around them, of the, the, the city that they were born in, the family that they were born to, the culture that they grew up in, that see these things and, and feel trapped as though they are destined to only continue to repeat this cycle, just, just one more link in a great chain of, of shame. And, 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 and they look at their parents, look at their sins, look at their failures, and, 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 and at some point even realize that they themselves have partook of these same sins. You know, maybe, maybe dad has left. Maybe mom's an alcoholic or she's on drugs. Maybe there's a stark, some kind of stark presence of sin which marks the family. But what I need you to know, what, what Peter is saying here, is that from this day on, no person out there needs to continue in the futile, the worthless ways of their forefathers. It doesn't matter what has come before, me, before you. It does not matter your own past life. For the Lord Jesus has declared that the truth will set you free. Just as the people to whom Peter was writing were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from their forefathers, so has every Christian and everyone who will come to faith in Christ been ransomed from their sin. And so too can you be ransomed from yours. You can be saved. There, there is hope. And, and now Peter reminds his readers of this. As I stated at the outset of our message, Peter is showing us how our doctrine, how our theology ought to impact our hearts. And so he says, if you are going to call on the Almighty who will judge the living and the dead, if you are going to call him as Father, if, if you are a child of God, then you should conduct yourself, you should live your life with a holy reverence, an ever-present sense of his awe and wonder uh, towards him, remembering that he has ransomed you, remembering that it depends upon his grace, that were it not for what he has done, that you would have just been left trapped and ensnared in your futile ways and in your sin. What God has done for his children is so great. It is so wonderful. To have been ransomed from the futile ways, from sin which leads to death. Now, if I were to stop right there, just that in and of itself is a wonderful thing. A very wonderful thing. A glorious thing. That, that's what leads to doxology. That, that's what leads to our praise. That's what leads to our worship. That's what leads to our singing. That's what takes hold of our hearts. That's what, that's what captivates our souls and our imaginations and our thoughts. 
that God has saved us is enough alone to give him all the glory and praise. But what makes it so incredible is not only that he has accomplished this, but how he has accomplished this. Verse 18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Uh, the, the word ransom inherently means that a price has been paid. That, that, that word, the true, which it is translated from, means not only the freeing of a captive, but specifically the freeing of a captive by payment. To put it plainly, dear Christian, in order to save you, you must realize that God has paid a price. And what Peter aims to do here is to tell you that, and this might stab you in the heart, this is to shape the way you think and the way you live your life, because the price that has been paid was a price most high indeed. The highest price. You were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Now, now silver and gold, that's, that's money, that's treasure, that's riches, that's wealth, that's what the world values, that's what the world loves, that's what the world says is important. But remember, Christian, this world is not your home. You are decidedly different. The Lord your God has called you, decided for you to be different. You are a pilgrim. You see, Peter takes that which is most valuable to the world, wealth, silver, gold, money. He takes that and he demonstrates just how truly meaningless and vain it is. He says, right off the bat, not with perishable things, silver and gold. Silver and gold, although it is valued greatly by human beings, it will perish. It is not eternal. And so what Peter is saying is we were not ransomed with something as minuscule and as worthless as money, as silver or gold. Verse 19 says we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. That, that word precious in the original language means literally something of high cost, something of high value. Silver, gold, money, riches, it's all worthless. It, it all means nothing. But the blood of Christ is invaluable. It is worth more than all the, all the gold in all the world. It is, it is precious. There, there's an old kind of, kind of a hillbilly song that says, some say give me silver, others say give me gold, I say give me Jesus. He satisfies my soul. Verse 19 goes on to say, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now this is an obvious Old Testament allusion to the sacrifices prescribed in God's law. Now, the law, which according to the book of Hebrews was a shadow of the good things to come, states, stated that when an animal, such as a lamb, was chosen for sacrifice, it was to be a male without spot or blemish. It was to be undefiled. There was to be no imperfection. It was not to be tainted. A perfect and holy sacrifice. But you see, those sacrifices of the old covenant could never truly cleanse people of their sin. But when Christ comes, who is God in the flesh, and he pours out his lifeblood on the cross for whosoever believe in him, that blood is precious because the man who shed it was God, who is holy, 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 who is perfect, who is righteous, who is without blemish or spot. Christ is our spotless lamb with fleas white as snow. Never a more costly sacrifice has ever been made than when our precious Lord and Savior was slain. And we, we must recognize both to whom the sacrifice was made and who commissioned the sacrifice. For Christ was slain to satisfy the wrath of the Father, and while the scriptures do testify that Jesus also gave himself up, that he had authority to give his own life. Nevertheless, there is a particular sense in which Jesus was sent by the Father 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now that should strike us more than it does. That should drive you to your knees more than it does. That Christ, who loves the Father and is loved by the Father, was given over by the Father. We must consider how near and dear Christ was and is to his Father. His beloved, his, his precious and only Son. Daily his delights. And, and now, now some of you out there are parents, and you know how deeply you love your children. And, and, and to, to give over your child, to give over your children, over to condemnation, to ransom people who have sinned against you so greatly is a love unthinkable and unspeakable. The, as the Puritan John Flavel has said, what is a child but a piece of the parent wrapped up in another skin? And yet our dearest children are but as strangers to us in comparison of the unspeakable dearness that was betwixt the Father and Christ. Now that he should ever be content to part with a son and such an only one is such a manifestation of love as will be admired all eternity. The love that exists between the members of the Trinity is something that is incomprehensible to the human mind. We hear Jesus saying things like, I and the Father are one. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. There does not exist a more intimate relationship than that of the most holy and blessed Trinity. If you were in Sunday school with me this morning, we talked about perichoresis. What's that? Well, that's a, a Greek word which literally means interpenetration. Okay, we, we are talking about a bond deeper, more intimate than the marriage bed here, when we are talking about the relationship, the unity, the love that exists between the members of the Trinity, between the Father and Son. And yet, desiring to save us, desiring to ransom us from our sin, from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, God, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, whom we now have the right to tenderly call Father, he has given over his most precious and lovely and unique only Son to suffer under his wrath, that we might be saved. A more amazing truth, a more amazing reality has not been heard of since the dawn of time. In the giving of the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without spot or blemish, is a manifestation of love that transcends human understanding. A few weeks ago, in, in my sermon, we talked about joy unspeakable. Well, this is love unspeakable. This is love that cannot be expressed in words. And it is the love God, our Father, has shown to every single Christian and every single person who will call out to Him by faith. We were not ransomed with perishable things such as silver or gold, but rather with the precious blood of the Lamb of God, daily His delights, the love of the Father. Verse 20, we read, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He was foreknown. Now, now some of you have heard me talk about that word, foreknow or foreknowledge before in other contexts, how this communicates a strong, intimate knowledge of something beforehand. This word is often used in places which deal with election. For example, a few weeks ago, preaching from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, we wrote, we are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And so we see in certain contexts this word uh, can be used when talking about things which relate to uh, predestination. As a matter of fact, the King James translates this word in this verse as foreordained. The NIV translates it as chosen. And, and as we've talked about before, the word can mean that depending on the context. But, but here in this verse, the context is not merely that Christ's work on the cross was predestined, although we know it was, and, and we see this plainly in other texts. 
But here the word is simply referring to God the Father's intimate and deep knowing of the Son before time was, before the world was, which is why the ESV is right to translate this as foreknown. And, and right now some of you are thinking, so what? Well, what does that have to do with anything you've been talking about? Well, the reason that's important is because what Peter is doing in this passage is he is stressing the value. He is stressing the greatness of the sacrifice of Christ. Because you see, when Christ was nailed to the cross, the, the person who hung there was a person who was known and loved by the Father and the Holy Spirit since before the foundation of the world. That's, that's the point. Before God created anything, He eternally existed in three persons and was content. Proverbs chapter 8, we read, when He established the heavens, I was there. Then I was beside Him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. John chapter 1, verse 18, the original Greek in that verse, translated literally, says that the son was in the bosom of the father. The one who was daily his delight before any created thing existed is the one whom God the father gave over to redeem sinners. And, and you just... You just got to try and fathom that. I, I bet you can't. I can't. The human mind simply cannot comprehend the greatness of the sacrifice that was made when Christ was given over, nor the amount of love that is contained in the giving of that sacrifice. Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. The only begotten and beloved Son of the Father, who is daily His delight, has for our sake been manifested. Now this refers to His incarnation, His life, His ministry, His work. Jesus Christ is the most supreme and greatest revelation of God to man that ever was. And so it is with great joy and with great wonder that we look at and study his life, contemplating the intense love that God has shown us. I, I talked about this in our last message, but how special is it that we live in a time where we have the Gospels and we have the New Testament and we can go back to sacred scripture and read and learn about the life and work of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is an amazing thing. This is a wonderful thing that we thank God for. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was mani made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Verse 21, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, I believe that everything I, I have talked about thus far in the sermon is, is both very true and is, and is very wonderful. We have been discussing how it is that God has ransomed the sinner, his, his, the, his spiritual children, those who have been born again, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. We, who call upon the Almighty as Father, have been reading from Peter how it is that that's been made possible. And, and I hope that by the grace of God, your heart and in your mind has been set to think and to contemplate these spiritual realities. As you contemplate the blessing that it is for a man or a woman to be ransomed from the futile ways of their forefathers, the futile ways of their flesh, the futile ways of their sin, I hope that your heart has been touched as you think about the great fact that to accomplish this redemption God has given over his most holy and beloved and unique son. I pray that this truth has been made clear to you and, and that it sounds attractive to you. But you need to understand something. The only way for this truth to apply to you is if verse 21 is true of your life. We have read that in these last times, Christ has been made manifest for you specifically to who you, who though who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, just having heard what I have said to you, 
Just having taken notes in the margins of your Bible, if that's what you've been doing. Just, just registering this information in your mind. Just, just cat- cataloging this into your intellect. That, that, that's really not going to do anything for you. That, that, that means nothing. Remember what we read back at verse 17, that God judges impartially according to each one's deeds. You see, what we need to understand, what you need to understand is that you will stand before God and you will give Him an account for your whole life. And unless faith be found in your heart, unless when your whole person is examined by Him who judges justly and fairly, who judges impartially, unless faith is found in your heart, which by that faith the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you, unless that condition is met, Without faith in your heart, you will perish. For John chapter 3 verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, this truth and all the comfort and the glory and the peace and the rest and every good thing that comes with it, everything that, that I've been trying to hit to help you understand all the, all the wonderful doctrine that is found in it and all the doxology that it leads to. This is for those who, who through Jesus Christ are believers in God. There is this notion out there that is popular in our culture uh, that some people have which teaches that, that everyone is a child of God. And that's simply not true. Believers in God who have come to God through Jesus Christ Specifically, are those, are those and only those who can call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Those who are believers in God are those to whom Christ was made manifest in the last times. And so I turn this over to you. Dear listener, dear sinner, whether you are here with me tonight in this building or by God's providence, this sermon has, has found its way to you online. I urge you not to hesitate, but to come to God and to come to Him right now through Jesus Christ. You, you, don't, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to walk an aisle. You don't need to say a prayer. You don't need to write me a check. You don't need to do anything like that. But dear sinner, you must give your heart, you must give your life to Jesus Christ. Give him your life. Become his. And you, this very day, I promise, will be grafted into the family of heaven. You will call upon him as father. Jesus promises, he says, all that the father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. You see, the good shepherd is one who, who, when he has saved his sheep, when he has redeemed his sheep, holds on to his sheep tightly. And it is by the strength, by the authority that is given to him by his father which nothing can overthrow, which nothing can dissolve. Paul says, who shall make a charge against God's elect? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is, is nothing. You must understand that you must come to Christ, for it is only by abiding in Him that you are secure. And He promises that you are secure eternally. You you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. Well, verse 21 continues. Through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now here Peter invokes the resurrection of Christ. And when he goes on to say, so that your faith and hope are in God, what this does is shows us how Christ's resurrection is a confirmation of all that he ever did and taught. And ultimately a confirmation of our faith. For the Apostle Paul has said, had Christ not been raised, then our preaching and your faith is in vain. When we see that Christ, after all he taught, was raised from the dead after his crucifixion, we know without a shadow of a doubt that this man was of God. And so through him, seeing his glorious resurrection, we have faith and we put our hope in God that he who raised Christ from the dead will one day raise us who believe in him to glory. And so where do we go from here? What do we, what do, we do with all of this? Well, it will be most helpful to once again reflect on and consider what it is Peter is doing with this section. 
You see, beginning back in verse 13, Peter begins admonishing us on how it is we ought to live our lives in regards to the truth that we know. How should our theology, how should our doctrine, how should the information and the knowledge that we have in our heads, once applied to our hearts, influence our everyday conduct? And what we find in verse 17 is that he has said, And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now hopefully now you are better equipped to grasp what it is Peter is saying here. Because my prayer, what I hope is that we together have adequately gone through the doctrine and the theology that Peter connects his statements to. Now, in the first place, we know that we have been ransomed from the futile ways of life. And secondly, that this ransom was paid for with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless and pure Lamb of God. All this is to be seen in tandem when Peter says, if you call on God as Father to conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Christian, as you live your life, you, you are going to encounter a great many things. You are going to experience God's providences. You are going to see his sovereign hand working in the affairs of the world, working in the affairs of your life. You are going to experience his graces, his many blessings. If you are listening to me right now, then that means you are experiencing the blessing of a worship service, of fellowship with other believers, of sitting under preaching. And maybe you didn't like my preaching. Maybe the my words, my eloquence were pitiful, that's fine. I know that you have at least heard the word of God read. And that is a blessing beyond compare. To have his written word at our disposal. You may experience the grace and blessing of, of Christian fellowship, of being a part of a local church. There are a multitude of graces that we each share in throughout our lives. And yet we experience many hardships as well. We we. we go through trials, we go through temptations, we, we suffer, we are afflicted, we see people who we love become sick and die, overdose and die, all these various things. And, and while if they were people we know to be Christians, we are comforted that they are now with their Savior, nevertheless, it is still a solemn and mournful thing to lose someone. And how painfully tragic, how heartbreaking is it when someone dies without Christ? We experience so much pain, so much sorrow. We experience a multitude of trials and temptations as well. You know, every day the devil walks this earth waging war against us. Even the godliest Christian still has his sin-stained flesh that he has to constantly battle. And on some days he succeeds and some days he fails. Life is a rough and rocky travel. And, and through it all, dear Christian, you are on exile. You are on a pilgrimage. You are a poor, wayfaring stranger traveling through this world of woe. Through it all, you are a pilgrim in this life. Through it all, you recognize this world is not your home. This is the mentality that every Christian, every believer ought to have. And you, you go through this exile, this, this sojourning in a strange land, this pilgrimage while conducting yourself with Fear with a respect, a holy reverence and awe to who God is and how great and, and majestic he is and how terrifying his power is and how weak and how pitiful you are and how tremendous his love has been to you. We, we should look at God through the pages of scripture with awe and with wonder, setting our thoughts to him should bend the mind and cause the heart to sing and cause us to fall on our knees because the truth is that there is no greater than God. For he is the one who has established all of creation. He is the one who has breathed the breath of life into our first parents. He is the one who has sent his son into the world to redeem us when, they, when we fall. He is the one who sends the Holy Spirit to regenerate every one of his elect people and bring them to saving faith in him. He is the one who has prepared for us an inheritance in eternity and he promises he will bring, it, bring us to it. An, an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading. He is the one who will judge all the earth in righteousness. And all at the same time, he is the one who we will turn to and embrace and give our affections all the days of our lives. All of our praise and all of, all of the glory 
for all of eternity. He is the one. And now what I have said at the outset of the sermon is that our doctrine, our theology must influence our hearts. You see, every moment of every day needs to be lived in reflection of this great reality, dear pilgrim. This, this should give you a heart to first and foremost worship God and then to strive to obey him, to know his word and to live it out. This should give you a drive to a holy life. And you recognize and know very well that this is a calling which is different than the standards of the world. You, you know that you don't fit in. You know that you are mocked. You know that this is different than what is glorified on television. This is different than what is popular on the internet. This is different than what is promoted by popular music. This is not about living for yourself. This is not about living for money, perishable, which is not eternal. This is not about living for pleasure, for sin, for one's own glory. No, this is about living for holy God who has adopted us into his family, whom we love and want to honor and praise with every fiber of our being. And so we will not be conformed to the standards of this world. We will not let the philosophy and the wisdom of this dying age distract us while we are on this exile. But brethren, but dear sisters in Christ, Pray that the Spirit would keep you committed to focus on what is good, what is righteous, and the Word of God. Pray that as you, as you sit there by the rivers of Babylon, as you sit down, as you weep, as you remember Zion, that the Lord your God would give you the strength to sing His song in a strange land. Pray for a heart to stay devoted to your Heavenly Father who has shown you His love in such a great and fantastic way. And I want you to pray with me. Father God, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time of worship, this time of fellowship, this time of praise. Dear God, we just pray that we brought glory to your name and all that has transpired here tonight. Father God, we just pray that, that the Spirit would make these truths known to us, that the Spirit would apply these things to our hearts, that we would live anew, that we would live afresh in light of the truth that we have gleaned from your word. Dear God, help us to be better Christians. Help us to be better men and women. Help us to be stronger in the faith, to stand firm in this wicked age in which we live. Dear Lord, it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Once again, just want to thank everyone for, who was able to show up tonight. And if you're listening on the, online on New Harvest, I just am, am so encouraged by that and hope that you can join us uh, next time for our service. Uh, for those of you who are here, Brother John is, is very excited and, and pleased to have prepared some delicious chicken soup for you. I've, I've had his homemade chicken soup before. It's, it's, it's good. Brother Guy's smiling because he knows. And so just, just once again, thank you for everyone who's able to show up. God bless you.